This week on the Magnificently Huge Podcast, Evil Red Electroids from Planet 10! Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kinda like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crap all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Welcome everyone once again to the Magnificently Huge Podcast. My name is Brian, and this week my friends Chris and Eric will join me on a trip back to your living room sofa, where you probably didn't see this movie in the theaters, you probably saw it on cable or VHS. We're going to be talking about the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the 8th dimension. This was a movie from 1984, starred Peter Weller, John Lithgow, Christopher Lloyd, Jeff Goldblum, Ellen Barkin, and a whole bunch of other faces you recognize. Uh, It's weird, it's unusual, it's unique, it's about a rock and roll neurosurgeon, astrophysicist, superhero spy guy and his band of merry followers and as always uh we are always looking to build our listenership so please share the podcast on your social media feeds give us a rating on itunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and if you want to reach out to us you can go to our website maghuge.com m-a-g-h-u-g-e.com there you'll find links to all of our older episodes as well as links to our twitter feed where we are at maghuge our facebook where we're the magnificently huge podcast our instagram and a link to email us our email address is magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com all right so if you ever find yourself asking the question why me just remember the answer is because you're perfect at least if you're perfect tommy okay it's magnificently huge podcast welcome back to a very sexy episode of magnificently huge chris it's magnificently huge after dark oh (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that sexy sexy voice was chris yeah Uh, my name is brian i am not sexy (laughs) (laughs) don't sell yourself short I'm Eric. I'm just angry. What's up? Until like a, a day and a half ago, I didn't have any voice. So this is kind of a nice change. Uh, is it though? It is, it is it? for I mean, me. I, don't I, know. I like being okay. able to communicate with people without using hand signs because I don't know any hand signs other than fuck you. So, so yeah, so I'm getting over a nice little uh, cold that I caught in Portugal and uh, it's awesome. In other words, Chris took time off of work. Therefore, he's not allowed to enjoy it. He has to be sick. Yeah. Well, I was also traveling with my dad and my brother. So it was, uh, yeah, good stuff. Huh. And Eric, are you in the new house? No. Or is that like we, closing we in signed, a few weeks? We signed the papers to sell the house we're in uh, yesterday. So we're, we're basically renting our own house for the next month until uh, we sign on the new place. I hope you don't get evicted. That would suck. funny moment signing the papers it was like a rainy day and the woman's like oh it's too bad that you had to you know that it's that the day has to be so terrible you know she's one of those people and tanya and i we're both like no we love the rain why why i was like we're from arizona we grew up in the first 10 minutes of star wars (laughs) and and she just gave me this blank look and afterwards tanya was like she's she's a woman she we don't understand star wars and i'm like yeah but i'm not a sexist okay point taken ah yeah yeah awesome all right well usually after after the scintillating banter we do a segment where we talk about what we've been uh, watching or reading or or generally doing and it's called the fresh shit this shit is fresh Yeah, but this week we're going to talk about 911 cuz we're recording on 911. So Well, I'd rather uh I'd rather <laughs> just bring Sorry up the derail you, but we're talking about no, we're not talking about I'm 911. Trying to, I'm trying to host a podcast yeah, here, yeah. man. Work look with at me. No, no, look at it this way. That this is actually the uh the anniversary of the introduction of the Atari game system. 
from Ooh. 1977. So that's 9-11 for us. How's that? Yeah. Hey, it's a couple days after the 20th anniversary of the release of the Sega Dreamcast on yeah. 9-9-99. Yeah. That, yeah. that was fun. And was neither a- of these things killed 3,000 people. <laughs> that's true. I don't know. The Sega Dreamcast might have come close. Well, neither but- of these resulted in people festooning their cars with goddamn flags. How's that? <laughs> Fuck. Eric, <laughs> got any fresh shit? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, watching uh, season two of Mindhunter on Netflix, got through it. Really great, especially if you liked season one. This time they're going after the uh, Atlanta child murderer. They they do end up arresting uh, Wayne Williams. There's no difference from the original. A lot of the bits that actually happened are in the show, which is fun. And there's a whole side thing with one of the agent's son being part of a murder. And the kid is like in six or something. It's it's really a hairy show, and I love it. Very dark and very, very... Um, um, oh, God, why can't I think of his name suddenly? The guy who made Seven. Fincher, David Fincher. Yeah, it's so Fincher-looking. Everything is gray and dark, and the lights don't work. It's like... You gotta wonder what he sees when he, like, goes anywhere. It's like, is everything that dark and beige and, you know... Everything looks like the movie Seven. Everything he does looks like uh, the the paper mill in Fight Club. <laughs> What's in the box? <laughs> What's in the box? Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Is, is he involved in, in Mine... I don't know anything oh, yeah. about Mindhunter. He's the, he's the producer. He created it. He directs direct the first half of the season uh mindhunter oh, okay. is the story of the creation of the fbi uh serial crimes study unit their 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 vicap uh program that is that who basically I- interviewed and studied and came up with profiles for serial killers that we use today is that who clarice starling ended up working for yes okay yeah she she, yeah, that whole thing is based on... Well, Jack Crawford would be the analog for the guy in this show. Okay. Um, yeah, it's really great, especially if you're a fan of serial murder, like I am. <laughs> Just a fan, though. Not yeah. a practitioner. No, but I do have certain you know wishes. Certain things I wish would happen, but uh, I don't take part in any of them. Uh, I just wish a lot of people who deserve it would die. You're but, making Brian very uh, uncomfortable right now. I know, and I know that Brian has people he wishes would die too. He just won't admit it. <laughs> you know, just, he's part of polite you know society. Yeah, th- there's there's a big amount of pressure to like stop people before the mass killings these days eric you know they that's a thing that happens yeah those people should be killed too i mean the ones with the guns oh boy okay uh what else you got eric (laughs) yeah any other hot buttons uh can't think of anything oh yeah uh there's this great thing on how abortion is a sin no i don't have anything (laughs) chris save us Fresh shit. Bring it. Um, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I don't really have anything because, uh, uh, as you know, I, I went to Portugal for the week and uh, fucked around out there for a while. Ate some good food and watched a lot of old buildings just stand there. Uh, it, was good. it was a good time. Uh, I recommend Portugal. It's a very nice country, very nice people, and uh, easy to get around. Uh, but I did catch a cold, so that kind of sucked. Uh and really, all I watched was uh, on the plane was uh, Alita Battle Angel because I was uh, up for 20 hours and I was too tired to sleep. And I thought that would put me to sleep. That and, seems uh, like the kind of movie you want to watch when you're yeah. jet lagged because her yeah. face is all bent up and you go, <laughs> yeah. OK, I know this is actually going on, but Jesus. Yeah, I think I was the only one to, of us who had seen it to date. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I think you were the only one. Okay, so uh, what what did you make of Alita Battle Angel? Uh, I thought it was a big uh, pile of fucking shit. That's what I thought of it. <laughs> it was very expensive looking and very slick, but it was a big pile of shit. It didn't make any goddamn sense. It was obviously made because they thought they could do like five more because James Cameron was involved and that's his thing now. Uh, it was just dumb. Dumb from the start. Dumb, dumb, dumb. And it took everything... From every other sci-fi movie and just 
cobble them together and Robert Rodriguez is just a giant goddamn hack. That's my take on it. Um, <laughs> I don't really know how else to explain it. It was no. just, it left me speechless. That's kind of what I thought was going on. That's why I didn't bother. So I'm glad to have that backed up. Yeah, I didn't buy Christoph Waltz as the, uh, whatever they call him. The, Not the, antagonist? Yeah, the, oh. the, the hunter, collector, bounty hunter, whatever. He's got like a, he a rocket-powered rocket powered, <laughs> rocket powered hammer yeah. axe. Yeah, it was just like, yeah. what? Come on. And then they do like the rollerball bits in the middle where they're like strapping skates on. And then basically the, all of the the cyborgs are robot parts, except they all kept their own heads. I didn't quite understand what was going on there. So you've got like this uh, Tonka toy looking tank thing. And then in the middle of it all, there's like a human head just sitting there. Uh, it just was disconcerting. I mean, it was just, it was really <laughs> poor, poor design all around. And then it, the action was so kinetic that you couldn't tell what was what. So uh, a giant fail uh, yeah. on all accounts. I must say there are a lot of things that should stay comic books, and the idea that we're going to we're going to recreate the magic, we're going to be faithful to the comic book mm-hmm. is stupid. It's a comic book. Read the comic book exactly or graphic novel as yeah. they you know. I know comic book. I'm not, I'm not making any friends today. Yeah. Comic so. book. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So after I watched that, then uh, I was kind of trying to pass the time. But, but you know how like airplanes, they've got the video console right in the back of the seat on every chair so that people can watch movies or whatever. So I start yeah. like mm-hmm. looking around the plane and just start looking at what other people are watching just for shits and giggles. Because <laughs> you can, because it's not private. That. Yeah. And so, yeah, like the yeah. guy across from me was watching, I mean, he was like mid, mid, late 30s, I would guess. And he's watching Fern Gully. The last rainforest for some godforsaken reason <laughs> <laughs> and i was in trance i like kept i kept turning my head to the right just in trance by what he was i'm like oh fern gully christ i forgot about that movie and then later he was watching iron giant so this grown man was doing nothing but watching kids movies and then like another person down there was watching rocket man so i caught parts of rocket man but no sound so I was trying to so, guess what songs they were they were singing during the bits of Rocket Man. <laughs> that was I, my flight. I go like I go like on Netflix and I download the shows I let you download to watch on airplanes. But the thing is that like everything on Netflix has has fucking scenes in it, yeah. right? So you're sitting there on the airplane and it's like, and here's the fucking yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you just, you just hope that you're yeah. sitting like in front of a, a family of four. It's like, <laughs> hey, hey, Junior, want to see something fun? Yeah. So that was all I did. Uh, nothing exciting. Take all it, right. Take it away, Brian. Uh, I have too much fresh shit. I'm only going to do some of it. Eric, I went and saw, and I thought you were also going to go see Ready or Not. I was going to see that, and then uh, uh, my wife punked out on me. She said, eh, I don't want to see it. And so I said, oh, okay. And so I didn't see it. Was that the, that's the oh. one that we think uh, the actress is Margot Robbie, but just looks like Margot Robbie, right? Yeah, it just, just looks okay. like Margot Robbie. In a lab designed to look like Margot Robbie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was a lot of fun. It's a it's a B movie through and through. Um, it's about a woman who marries into this like privileged, rich dynasty family, and um, they may or may not have made a deal with Satan. Um, and so basically, um, the, the family made their fortune on games, games, you know, card games, board games, that kind of thing. And I guess that the patriarch of the family, uh, supposedly made a deal with the devil and there's this box that deals out a card. And whenever somebody marries into the family, the, the box spits out a card and then they have to play that game. And most of the time... It's a benign thing, you know, it's checkers or whatever. But if it's hide-and-seek, then it's hide-and-seek to the death. And they, uh, the family is convinced that if they don't kill the, uh, the newlywed person and sacrifice them by dawn, that they will all die. Oh, so it only starts out like Get Out. Yeah, no, it's it's basically just it's it's clue with shotguns. Um, mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> Why wasn't that but, on the poster? I'd have gone to see that. It's clue with shotguns. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm in. 
Yeah, um, it's Jumanji this, with chainsaws. Yeah. This this has only happened twice in the living memory of any of the characters, and I believe the reason is that basically you're expected to convert to Satan's will or die because all of the people who didn't have to play this game were fucking assholes. And the only the only two people who had to play the game were the rede- redeemable ones. Um, it's a good movie. It's fun. There's a great joke that involves OnStar. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, I, I don't want to spoil it because I thought Eric wanted to see it. I was hoping we'd he was, was going to raise it. Was it as good as the Rick and Morty episode? Uh, Look who's purging now. Um, shit, Eric, Chris, I don't remember any specific. Rick and Martin episode by title. How dare you? That's the one where they go to the purge planet and uh, they're just kicking around and then they find out that they all the people have the one day every year where they just go batshit crazy and kill each other consequence free. Uh, I don't remember yeah. that. Really? Yeah, I remember it, but I mean, it's just very different than that. It, I don't okay. know. It's, it's not a comparison you can make. Okay. It's a fun movie. Uh yeah, bits of get out, bits of clue, bits of just you know people being assholes and and shooting at each other. And uh, not Margot don't Robbie. be one of the yeah, not Margot Robbie, but she's really good. She carries the movie very well and she has a lot of range. Um and Andy McDowell is is one of the family members. Do you think if when they release it for home video or streaming or whatever that they'll have more X-rated violence because I I no. don't like seeing these kinds of movies in theaters anymore unless I get to see the stuff. You know, is it is it I rated don't, I don't R? Think is it... have it's rated R. Okay. It's definitely rated R. Because what I, I hate is they'll change it a lick. I think it's perfectly fine to watch it on TV. Okay. Because what I hate is when they release these types of movies, but they do them PG thirteen. So it's like they Dude. get right up to the good part and then nothing. You know what this I mean? This is very much not PG-13. Okay. Uh, there's a couple of good kills. Uh, there's some gross stuff. There's lots of blood, lots of language. Um, yeah, well, that no, sounds right up there. It's rated okay. And, you know, the, the fucking eight-year-old kids in the row behind me got to see it. So, good job, parents. <laughs> mm. We never got to see stuff like that, ever. <sighs> um, okay, so, I want to shift gears. Um I watched the first episode of two new streaming series, and I want to compare these. I watched the first episodes of Carnival Row on Amazon and The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance on Netflix. Okay. Okay. Both of these shows are world fantasy worlds and attempts at big, fat world building. Um... And there, there's a lot. There's, uh, how do I want to put this? Okay, Carnival Row. Carnival Row uh, stars Cara Delvigny. How do you pronounce her last name? Uh, Enchantress from Suicide Squad. Uh, the chick from Valerian and the Shitty of a Thousand Shits. I just her. describe her as that model who can't act. It stars that <laughs> model who can't act. She's got an Irish accent in this one. Great. Uh, she's a fairy. And um, it also stars Orlando Bloom, and it takes place in this world where there's lots of uh, fantasy creatures, you know, fairies and fawns and shit like that, and it's really, really, really explicitly about racism and uh, refugees and... Didn't Will uh, Smith already make this movie? Um, you know, I didn't watch that. But okay. um, yeah, interesting if they tied them together and it turns <laughs> yeah, really. out they're part of the same shared universe. Talk about world building. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's it's trying very hard for the I think for the Game of Thrones audience, right? It's so it's it's very much a costume drama. It's very much uh, sex and violence. Um, there's this hilarious scene that's supposed to be hot, right? All the fairies like will end up taking their tops off and screwing. Uh, actually, everybody ends up getting naked and screwing in this thing. But there's a scene where a fairy is on top of a dude, and they're having sex, and then her wings start flapping, and they take off into the air. And all I'm thinking of, the way it's shot is, ow, ow, she just lifted him in the air by the dick. Like, <laughs> that doesn't look like any fun at all. What, what is wrong with you? What the hell are you supposed to do, you moron? 
I think the same thing whenever Iron Man, like, grabs somebody who's falling or yanks <laughs> right. somebody out of the way. It's, it's like, Gwen you Stacey. just destroyed their spine. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, this is a show about demonizing immigrants, and unfortunately, in the last shot of the first episode, also shows the literal demon they brought with them. So, they really kind of messed up their messaging, I think. Um, huh? Compare... Well, because if you're going to make a show about how we're demonizing immigrants, you know, they sh- they aren't really supposed to be bringing monsters with them and ruining everything. Maybe Except they're making are. a very anti-immigrant statement and saying, no, really, they are demons. Yeah, it didn't seem that way until the last <laughs> shot of the show. Um, so so that's a, that's a bit of world building that's going on, and it's very dour... And, uh, you know, like I say, lots of boobies and lots of, you know, crime drama and a lot of, like, costume drama. Compare that to the vibe of the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, which is basically trying to be the Lord of the Rings and or, well, the Dark Crystal. But the Dark Crystal by way of Lord of the Rings, like, this is taking everything you saw in the Dark Crystal and then there's just lore and lore and lore like, I guess there are something like six different clans of Gelflings that have totally different cultures, and there's this what? whole history. Oh, man. Yeah. It's, what about it's the Skeksis, hardcore. though? The oh, the Skeksis are very much there. The Skeksis are the 1%. They're the aristocracy that uh, everyone has to tithe to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that character is is voiced by um, 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 Simon Pegg. Oh, nice. Uh, nowadays, who does the voice spot on. And the scientist Skeksis <laughs> is voiced by Mark Hamill. That Both of these shows have all-star casts, like, but yeah. Is the, like, the weird gnarly witch in it? Yep, the one that, she's that in it. looks like, a, like, always made me think of, like, Eartha Kit, but Eartha Kit, like, 80-year-old yeah. 80, 80 Eartha Kit. Like uh, now? Yeah. This... <laughs> Yeah, she's in it. Everything, everything that you remember from the first uh, movie is, is in it, and then some. So I think me, it's great. Actually, let me ask you this: When the Gelflings run, uh, do they do that ridiculous thing where they like rotoscope yeah. the no, background? They don't make, oh no, no! When the Gelflings run, they look like puppets running, and they don't really look like they're <laughs> okay. making contact with the ground. <laughs> okay, I mean they still look like puppets, but that's just it. It's puppets. Okay, right? Yeah. And some of the puppets are amazing. It's Fucking great. I, didn't, I didn't like that shit when I was a kid. I can't yeah. imagine liking it more now. It's I, yeah. I liked Labyrinth better than the Dark Crystal by a lot. Well, because this Labyrinth actually better. has movement. Like and Dark Bowie. Crystal is like the slowest goddamn movie. If you try and to no watch Bowie. it, yeah, like Dark Crystal is like that whole thirty minute whatever scene. At least it feels like it, where they're just going, oh, oh, you know, it's like. <laughs> And it just goes on and on and on. It's like, get to the point. And then the oh, Gelflings this- run in. You know, it's like, oh, Skeksis. So, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. So <laughs> I've, I've kind of forgotten most of the Dark Crystal movie. You know, this is more like the way you remember it as opposed to how it probably really is. Yeah. I intend to watch the movie after this because this is a prequel to the movie. Uh, and I expect it's going to be a giant disappointment, yeah. the movie. The, the series uh, looks fucking great. Like, where, where. Carnival Roll felt small and mean, and this feels giant and wondrous, and like they've really gone to town on the world building. And I would at least check out the first episode and see if it catches your attention. Yeah, I keep uh, circling it, but I uh, haven't done it yet. No, it's 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 good. It's it's legit. And then Sold. finally, finally, I went to uh, wife took me to the Lost Eighties tour, which is kind of tiny this year. Um, but saw like, okay, um, of the opening bands that are just like, you know, one person and, and like some session players, the one that was actually the most fun was the first guy out who was boys don't cry of, I want to be a cowboy fame. (laughs) My name is Fred and one day I'll I'll be be dead. dead. Yo, yo, yo. Yep. That guy. I have that song on one of my uh, radio edit 
mixes that I used to do when I was like 14. I would probably put the cassette in and I would hit record when I heard the song on the radio. And that's one of them. And I can tell you every line in that song. It's so stupid. Yeah. Um, one of the bands I hadn't seen before was The Vapors of Turning Japanese Fame. Nice. You know, that's um, about sex, you know, that song. Is it? It's about oh. jerking off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that sex, isn't it? Yeah. According to you, yes. Sad sex, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> sexy. <laughs> they... <laughs> they, you know, they have a good You're sound. You're not going to see Orlando have... Bloom doing that. It's oh, thank God. <laughs> um, but but once again, the band that I never thought I needed, I really didn't need them in the '80s. But by God, they're one of the best nostalgia acts touring. Is fucking Wang Chung. Yeah, oh, everybody Wang Chung tonight. They Dude. were great live. I saw them yeah. live in the '80s. They were a good act. I, I got. I got They're no so beef good. with Wang Chung, man. I got no yeah. beef with Wang Chung. So the tall, the tall bass player guy was wearing a T-shirt that said "Wang Chung is fucking metal" on stage. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And and they did they did another fake out, but but we saw him coming this time. Like last year when we saw him, they did this thing where they were covering "Girls Just Want to Have Fun" and they use it as a lead into "Everybody Have Fun." This time. It was, should I stay or should I go? And oh, they started awesome. into it, and the audience is getting all excited, and my wife is like, don't buy it. You're being faked out. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, it's, should I wang or should I chung? And then they go into everybody have fun tonight. Nice. Should I stay or should I? their set with that cool and they I kill. always like that one yeah i always like that song because it's it's so uniquely 80s uh and part it, of one of the most underrated movies yeah which is also very uniquely 80s to be yeah. honest uh but that's cool that was a minor hit for them so i'm glad they're uh, they're trotting that one out and that's about it that's the fresh shit all right so every now and then uh, we pull an old VHS classic off the shelf and, and give it a podcast. Uh, go check out our old episodes. You can see us talk about Surf 2, the end of the trilogy, and Tapeheads and Repo Man. Um, and I've been wanting to pluck this one for a while. We're finally getting around to Buckaroo Banzai. What's the actual title of Buckaroo Banzai? And, adventure, and the Adventures it, it, in the Eighth Dimension. No, it's the Adventures it, of Buckaroo Banzai across the Eighth across Dimension. The eighth That's dimension. what it is. Yeah. It's there a mouthful. Go. So get it right. And <laughs> I am so glad we're doing this movie because <laughs> I don't like it. Ever. And I'm <laughs> one of the few people I know, like in geek culture, willing to say, meh. Well, it's kind of is one it of those. A meh or is it a, like an active dislike for you? No, it's not an active dislike. I actually think. Okay, the guy who wrote this also wrote Big Trouble in Little China. And you can see a lot of the same fingerprints yeah. of like a wacky adventure and an ironic look at the genre. And I dig that. It's just by the end, I feel almost uncomfortable. Like I, I have a flu. You know, it's like there's I, the 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 one. Uh, um, what, what are the aliens called again? Electroids. Electroids. The, the one black electroid at the end says, "Bah, whatever." And I was like, 
they know. They know exactly how I feel right now. Bah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a very divisive film because it's uh, you either love it or you don't. I mean, it's yeah. there's no two two ways about it. I and they're aware that's the it. last line of the movie. They're like, "So what? Big yeah. deal." Yeah. Credits. That, that right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and I I appreciate that. I appreciate that they are in a way kind of the 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 progenitors of meta storytelling because they're like okay there's this whole world that exists and we're gonna pretend this is like part nine in a whole series but it's not and if you're not getting it too bad we're moving we're moving too fast well this movie respects the audience right like they they do not they do not lampshade anything it's like you're either you're either keeping up with the fact that okay fine they have an opening crawl that sets up the absurdity of this character who is a rock star neurosurgeon scientist kung fu crime fighter uh, yeah crime <laughs> fighter guy uh who has a like following of of like you know people he can call on to do shit and and a whole entourage of colorful characters and a direct line to the president you're either on board with this or you're not, but they really don't care. They're just going to go yeah, and yeah. do their thing. Well, and that's the, the beauty of it because they, it, it borrows heavily from stuff like doc Savage. So yeah, it's very, very, doc very, Savage. very pulpy. Uh, and it, and as a standalone movie what what I think is just amazing about it, why it's managed to last so long is that they don't color coat anything sugarcoat anything they just throw you in and then you kind of have to figure out this world as it goes along and it rewards repeat views uh every every time i see it i catch i catch something else i'm like oh shit they reference that and then here you go and then you can start putting the pieces together it's very weird oh yeah there's stuff in this that i don't i don't remember ever seeing. i've seen this movie plenty of times and it it's there's always something i never noticed it's like a whole shot where they walk through a room and there's a watermelon in a vice. And what <laughs> watermelon says, doing there? Yeah. Yo, I'll tell you later. And they walk out. I don't remember this scene at all. But at some point, <laughs> somebody had to like set up the set, put the watermelon there, well, light the shot, get the there's, shot, there's choose a, to edit it into the film. Yeah, but here's the what story. The here's the story behind that. At one point, uh, they kept getting a lot of notes from the studio uh, that they would essentially ignore. And then eventually they kind of felt like they were getting left alone to do their own thing, but to test it because the studio heads have to watch the rushes. So they would Mm -hmm. insert watermelons into the scenes just randomly (laughs) to see if it would show up in the production notes. And if it didn't, they knew they weren't being watched and they would just do whatever the hell they wanted. So that's why that scene is in there because it's like, that's a big F you to the the studio heads that weren't doing anything with them. God. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Why not? Yeah. I mean, it's so what's that watermelon doing else here? In this movie. Yeah. Okay. I, well, so I like the- that Ellen Barkin is in this as the twin sister of the adopted twins. Didn't know she had a twin. Twin sister of Buckaroo Bonsai's dead wife, and it's like this. This should and therefore be, he must have her. It's 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 it should be its own movie in like part two or three of this whole yeah. thing but of course we're not doing that and and i do like th- that kind of here's the thing here's what's going on okay yeah. moving on you know like we're okay well really it's ellen, ellen barkin it. in every single shot ellen barkin is posed as though she's in a bondage scene like there's a scene where she's in a jail cell but the way she's in the jail cell she's got like her arms up against the bars for no reason of the jail cell and she just looks like she's being pinned to the wall like every scene ellen barkin is is basically you know damseling or basically you know come here and do me um thank you 80s we appreciate you for yeah. this um, we should probably attempt to explain uh, the tiniest bit of the plot. Um, well, that's what I ask you is, uh, cause even John Lithgow himself has said that, uh, he's tried to explain it to people who have never watched it. And he says really it usually simple plot. Well, but then you get into all of the other extraneous stuff that kind of just folds yeah. itself in just on its own. So it's one of those things that on paper kind of should be simple, but everybody tends to over-explain it. I've, everybody I've ever okay. heard who's to explain this movie over-explains it. So I want to hear me, you, Eric, because you let don't me give like it. a it. shot. Yeah. Okay. So uh, a group of aliens tried to invade the Earth. They were thwarted and locked in the eighth dimension. 
they find a way out because Buckaroo Banzai is experimenting with it. Uh, and then other aliens are going to destroy the Earth to kill them to keep them from getting out. So Buckaroo Banzai must defeat the bad aliens before the good aliens destroy the Earth. Yep. Yeah. So what? Big deal. Yeah. So what? Yeah, that's the nutshell. It's it's pretty simple. (laughs) We got to get them or they'll get us. And in the middle, hijinks ensue. And I really do think the hijinks are designed to basically say, this is just as, you know, cliche and numbskulled as anything you're watching in movies now. Yeah. I I like that that kind of, I don't know, moxie that basically says, fuck you, you like bad movies. So here's one. (laughs) Well, I I will uh, tell you now that this movie like the first 10 or 15 minutes uh that's one of my favorite movie openings of any film ever uh because it just kind of drops you in to the crawl and then it you see the aliens and then it takes you into buckaroo bonsai doing neurosurgery with jeff goldblum well first and then he's got to do first he's got to drive a truck through a mountain well no he's that's, doing that's, the surgery and oh, then he's got to go drive the truck through the mountain. May I have the curved yasagul, please? It's not here, Dr. Bonsai. Uh, let me have the straight one then. See, this is the point where, for me, it started to look like a problem. I mean, you know, I wanted to sacrifice the precentral vein in order to get some exposure. But because of this guy's normal variation, I got excited, and all of a sudden I didn't know whether I was looking at the precentral vein or one of the internal cerebral veins or the vein of Galen or the basilar vein of Rosenthal. So on my own, me, at this point, I was ready to say, that's it, let's get out. See, you can check your anatomy all you want. And even though there may be normal variation, when you get right down to it this far inside the head, it all looks the same. No, 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 no. Don't tug on that. You never know what it might be attached to. And so it's like that whole build-up to the rocket car on the flats in the desert. And then, like, they're in the command center, and there's all of the sound design where it's all of the chitter-chatter on the radios and stuff. And then they they do the whole rocket car through the mountain, and then it kind of goes from there. But it's all build up, build up, build up, well, and, and then, then it's and like, then he goes boom. and plays a club in New Jersey where there's a guy on stage playing two saxophones, and one of his entourage is Billy <laughs> Vera of Billy and the Beaters, yeah, and he that plays whole a band trumpet. is basically him. Yeah, yeah. Did you know? Did you ever see the alternate opening to Buckaroo Bonsai? Yeah, it's, it's on not YouTube. very good. It's not very no, good. No, it's not. But that's Jamie Lee Curtis, which I think is kind of cool. As his mom. as his mom, yeah. yeah. Well, the whole setup, because by the end of the movie, you get the title card for the sequel where it's Buckaroo Banzai against the World Crime League. And apparently they drop a lot of references to his big nemesis, who's the leader of the World Crime League. But all that got erased uh, from the, this final product. But the whole backstory is that I guess they killed his parents and his wife, and that somehow will lead into the, the sequel. But it was peppered throughout. I mean, it's like they do all this stuff. It's like, well, you know all of this backstory already, and they just pepper it in. And no, we don't. We don't know it at all. So it's like, what the hell did I just watch? It kind of <laughs> feels kind of like charm. it's a good thing there wasn't a sequel, because the only way this thing works is as, you know, like a torn out page from a book where you don't know what came before or after. Yeah. If you then get the next page, it's like suddenly you're grounded in some reality. And so it doesn't have that. True. I don't know. Well, you well, guys it, like this movie, so why don't you talk about why you did like it? <laughs> uh, Let's I talk about just, John Lithgow yeah. as John Warfine, uh, as Emil Lazardo, Emilio Lazardo, who who's putting on this obnoxious Italian accent. <laughs> and in interviews, John Lithgow has said, "You know, a lot of people think that my character in the Twilight Zone movie was like a hundred percent over the top." No, 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 no. This this character makes the guy in the Twilight Zone movie look totally normal. Well, I love and the fact that, true. that he got his accent uh, from his tailor. He was yeah. an right. Italian man. He like made him read the script out loud, and then he recorded it so that he could get the inflections and whatnot. <laughs> and then actually had him credited in the end credits as his dialogue coach. And it's just this like <laughs> tailor. I mean, it's so ridiculous. And for years, people will come up to him going, so can can you give me the number of that guy who helped you with that accent? Oh, it's my fucking yeah. tailor, dude. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> it's not a real dialogue coach. It's yeah. an I, Italian I'm surprised man. anybody would want help with the accent, given the accent that he's putting out, which is just ridiculous, right? It's, I, yeah. it's a caricature. Go on, take it. I don't need it. Tomorrow, I'm going home with my overthruster. 
It's terrific, Doc. Laugh for a while you can, monkey boy. I think Peter Weller describes it as uh, John doing his uh, Italian Martian thing. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much what it is. But laugh a while you can, the monkey boy. You know, it's like just so so over the top. It's so stupid. That, that line is is fun in that at first you think it's just something he would say, but no, that's what electroids call humans. In fact, yeah. later on in the movie, on a PA in the evil lair at Yo-Yo Dine Propulsion Systems, there's a there's a board announcer just says, "There are monkey boys in the facility." <laughs> you know. <Yeah. laughs> Well, I like the fact that his whole character basically is just one big walking malpropism because he just he doesn't get phrases right. <laughs> he just pulls ahead anyway. Um, uh, is where you wear your hat. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's like it, you you don't get it, dude. You don't get it. But the beauty of the character big Hitler speech at the end, and he's yeah. saying, "Where, where are, are we, we going? going? Planet, Planet 10. ten. When are we getting? When are we going? Real, Real soon, <laughs> you know." But the beauty Inspiring. of the character is that he's so big, and they do him at the beginning when he escapes from the mental asylum, and then he like runs amok, and you literally don't see him for like 40 minutes. <laughs> and then he shows up, and it's like, oh, there he is. But it's like he's never been gone. It is so <laughs> weird. It's like he casts such a large shadow with that performance that you don't notice that he's not on screen for 40 minutes. It's so strange well, to me. Well, it doesn't hurt that you're getting... Peter Weller and Jeff Goldblum and Ellen Barkin and Clancy Christopher Brown. Lloyd and Clancy yeah. Brown and uh, whatever the the other creepy guy who plays off of Christopher Lloyd who was the math teacher in Better Off Dead. Oh, that's uh, Vincent Schiavelli. Yeah, and then uh, and then Dan Hedaya is also the other one. Uh, like, there's this movie is is just full of uh, personality, right? Yeah. And uh, and what is it? Christopher Lloyd is is he John Big Boutet? He's John Big Boutet. <laughs> yes. Tay. Tay. Boutet. Because all John of the uh, Big Booty. Oh, Boutet. <laughs> uh, but all of the red electroids are named John, and they all have whacked out last names. Cause they, oh yeah, cause the they, invasion they, happened in 1938 uh, at the time of the War of the Worlds broadcast, and it, which really happened. And they got Orson Welles to then say, oh, no, no, it's a radio play, when in <laughs> yeah. fact it was a real invasion. Yeah. And so they, and they all, all uh, took the surname John, and they picked random words to be their last names, and they've been here yeah. ever since. Yeah, so it's like John Warfin, John Smallberries, John Little John, John Yaya. John Yaya. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, here's, here's how big a dork I am. Uh, when I was working at the games company, and I had to register my copy of Microsoft Office. I registered it as John Smallberries from Yo-Yo Dine Propulsion Systems because I figured anybody who was actually checking the registration of my Microsoft Office registration might get the joke. And they um, did. I'm sure they did. Of course did, they probably. did. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but it's just that uh, it's such a crazy movie. And I, it hit at just the right time because it came out like August 84. I don't think I saw it until the next year when it was on video. Nobody saw it until it yeah. showed up on HBO. Like, yeah. all of a sudden, it was like that shot from, from the end of the movie where the spaceship kind of pops up into frame, and they use that in the promos, and you're like, hey, what the fuck is this? And then you watch it, and you're like, hey, what the fuck was that? And- <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think just I was, you know, 13, 14 when it came out, and... I didn't quite know what I had just seen, but I know that I liked it, but I couldn't really figure it out. It's one of those things where it's like sort of just burrows into your brain a little bit. And you're like, I got to watch that again and find out what's going (laughs) on. Cause it doesn't make a lick of sense the way it's pieced together. It's so disjointed. It's basically how not to make a movie. And yet somehow (laughs) it comes out as a fully formed thing that I sort of feels like, yeah, like Eric said, you like just ripped a page from this larger text and it's just a portion of it, and suddenly you're like, okay, this is part of this world over here, and then, you know, it just kind of get, gets out of control. And at the same time, it says you do know what's going on, because this is also cliche. You've seen it a hundred times before. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's very deft. It, it's interesting, like, you only get it if you watch it, like, three times, and and yet, it's entertaining enough the first time you see it that you're willing to watch it again. Either that, or we were so bored and we watched it on HBO enough times that we eventually understood it. I'm not sure which, 
but I think it's the the former, uh, uh, except for Eric. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I well, think I, I think also as a kid, I I confused it a lot with the man who fell to earth. Which is probably the more oh, good Lord. dramatic version of the <laughs> yeah. same thing, but yeah, I, uh, I can totally see how you would confuse the two as <laughs> a kid. A, yeah. yeah. Oh man, that's pretty funny. Going, where's Bowie? <laughs> yeah, where is Bowie? But uh, yeah, the whole thing is just uh, ridiculous. But I like the fact that W. D. Richter, the director, uh, had hired the director of photography. Uh, it's like the was his name Justin Cronenweth or something? He's the guy that did Blade Runner because they mm. wanted a really rich, colorful palette, uh, etc. And then somewhere mid midway through shooting, uh, the producers decided that they didn't want him, so they got some other guy to come in and shot it sort of in that flat, sort of comic-y, two-dimensional. Yeah. <laughs> and it's sort of that's why it's so disjointed, I think, because certain scenes like in the nightclub, like rich depth of field and the colors are really snappy. And then others where it's just really flat and drab and bleh. and it's just yeah, it, it poorly kinda, thought out. Yeah, and it kind of keeps you off off center a little bit because it's like did did they even really know what they were putting together when they made this thing? And that's to me part of its charm. It's just like the ragged edges around this goofy little weird movie, you know? Yeah. I mean, it kind of rem- in that way. It kind of reminds me of Repo Man in that it's it's just yeah. sort of like I can't believe we're getting away with this. You know, the people <laughs> yeah, making the yeah, movie. Yeah. True. And then, I think uh, they also, you know, what uh, Leonard Part Six very <laughs> unsuccessfully oh. tried the same thing. We're going to put you in the middle and and not explain. We're just going to assume that there's a world that you don't know, but yeah. And that they, of course was horrible. Yeah, that one fell flat. Yeah, on its face. But uh, I think it just uh, Buckaroo Banzai gets by on just a lot of just good natured charm uh, more than anything. Because it you, gets by on that first fifteen twenty minutes. Yeah, right. Like that's a very propulsive. What the fuck is going on? And it, I think that's part of the hook. Is it's like I have to pay attention, or I'm going to be totally lost. Yeah. And then every now and then they hit you with something. You know, as as nobody thinks that the uh, that the writer of this movie, uh, Earl Mac Roush, I think is his name, yeah, uh, actually coined this phrase. But I also haven't found anybody who's found an earlier reference to "No matter where you go, there you are." So, <laughs> yeah, for all my, intents and purposes awesome in the line. culture, this is the origin <laughs> of that. <laughs> Don't be mean. We don't have to be mean. Because remember, no matter where you go, there you are. Yeah, I love that so much because he's just so serious when he says it. Because the crowd's sort of rustly and he quiets him down and he's trying to get Penny to kind of calm down. (laughs) Peter Weller just gives the best line read on that. No matter where you go, there you are. Feels like a Yogi Berra. <laughs> it's a little bit like that, yeah. Yeah. The Yogi there is a Yogi Berra quote that's not quite that. And but yeah, I was actually looking that up and like, did this movie actually originate that phrase? And I'm hardly the first person to ask that question. And none of the people <laughs> I found found a better origin than that. Some people say it's it's an adaptation of a Confucius saying, but it's pretty far off, I guess, yeah. depending on the translation. Yeah. It's just uh But then it's, you've got uh then you've got Jeff Goldblum Goldblooming it up, and uh, I can't remember what he passed up to do this. I think he was slated to to be Egon in Ghostbusters, and he decided to do this thing instead. <laughs> <laughs> I, I read that and I went, "Holy shit!" But I could not imagine him in anything else than Buckaroo Banzai at that time. I couldn't. It's just so weird no, to he's, me. He's he's great. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't have a whole lot else to say about it other than if you're young and you haven't seen Buckaroo Banzai, I recommend it. Go check it out. It's got to be streamable somewhere. It's uh, on It's on YouTube for free right now. Oh, for if God's sake. If you're looking no for excuse. a movie to watch, yeah. this is a movie. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Well, It holds the, up. Well, the, the, So good, you can watch it with your eyeballs. That's right. basically... <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to count the things... 
why you should watch it. Okay, number one, okay. Uh, the the cast because Peter Weller, yes, early career Peter Weller, uh, nails it because he's sort of this debonair yet dorky uh, hero. It was basically the whole movie is set for geek culture before there was really such a thing as mainstream geek culture and actual smart people. Yeah. Like, yeah. Respecting being actually smart. Yeah. Uh, so you've got the cast and then, you know, Jeff Goldblum, uh, Lithgow, Ellen Barkin, Clancy Brown, uh, who would all go on to do other bigger things. Uh, Christopher Lloyd, Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. So that the, it's just ridiculous. Uh, so there's the cast, uh, the, Opening scene, as I mentioned, with the rocket car, because it's just if you li- if you watch it, the sound design is fucking incredible. Because they took actual like sound from Mission Control shuttle launches, and they just sort of peppered them in, and it's just a bunch of gibberish, but it it just fits. I, I, I want to piggyback on this. There's two things. One, the the future tech is totally believable. Future tech. It's not like ridiculous Sandra Bullock the net future tech. It's like <laughs> things that actually are could credibly have been built by smart people in 84. Yeah. And the other is in that sequence, there's one shot and it's a terrible shaky shot of all. It, it's almost unintelligible. It's, it's the truck driving um, laterally across the screen and the truck is shooting this laser beam out of the top. But the thing is it's shaking really hard and the laser beam is shaking really hard. I have to assume they actually shot a laser and shook the camera in order to get this shot because they didn't have the budget for anything better than that. Anyway. It always impressed me. Yeah. Anyway. Well, right, and my favorite thing about to watch it. Well, my favorite thing about the end of that too is when he's when he's done and the he's like has left the truck, you know, like jumps out and it's still rolling and then it finally mm-hmm. stops and then it starts dieseling. Right. <laughs> Just like I'm like, that's a really fun touch because it never left me. I saw it the first time and I went, That's funny. They do all of this science stuff and it's amazing. And then the car's like sitting there going, junk and junk 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 junk. I thought that was funny. So there's the opening. Uh there's the uh soundtrack uh score, which really leads into the the big reason you watch it if you're a fan, uh, is that end credit sequence where they all show up in the oh, ravines yeah. and at Los Angeles and just walking around to the rock and synth score uh, Buckaroo Banzai theme yeah which would be one of the reasons I, 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 I would I would vote against the movie is just you know the nice thing about leaving the 80s was the end of the synth score I mean so many movies are just <laughs> but ruined it's, but by, it's such oh, an awesome oh, something's happening but it's so awesome well, the oh, funniest thing about that whole great sequence music during the fight scenes, yeah. The funniest thing about that end scene, though, is when they're walking around because it's in like I don't know four four time or whatever. But the the composer hadn't finished the song yet, so basically this was like a couple months after they wrapped. They brought everybody together and they basically marched them around in that ravine to Uptown Girl by Billy Joel because it had the same tempo. (laughs) So now when you watch it, don't think about the theme song. Think about Uptown Girl and it makes Uh, you laugh. (laughs) I I like the one guy who gets out of step and has to kind of like do a half step to get in sync with everybody else. Or in the guy that plays Perfect Tommy when he starts, he's just wearing like a jacket with no shirt. With the pants, you know, so it's like I'm bare chested. The fashion is one of the reasons yeah. that you say people should watch this movie. Cause well, yeah, boy, was, is there some eighties fashion I was going on? To it, yeah, because it's like the, the skinny tie. It's very Blade Runner. It's like Deckard suit in Blade Runner. It's very much that vibe, but and, more colors. And I never picked up on how the Matt Smith Doctor Who dresses like Buckaroo Banzai with the jacket <laughs> and the bow tie. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. have the red glasses though. That's the the signature Buckaroo sure? Banzai. Yeah. He wears glasses sometime. I don't not, remember what color not, they were. Not the Sally Jesse Raphael's. Uh, but that was another point of contention with the producers. They didn't like them, so they can only choose with, like certain scenes where he could wear them. <laughs> That's why he only <laughs> has them on in like three or four scenes. Right. I'm like, come on. It's a signature look, man. Come on. Uh, but yeah. That's, uh, that's my top four one reasons. One more reason to watch it is it will annoy Eric. <laughs> it won't annoy me. <laughs> Darn. He doesn't okay. care if you watch it. Exactly. You're everyone. Everyone on on the planet Earth. Every single person is someone who isn't me. They can watch whatever the fuck they want. 
<laughs> Laugh a while you can, the monkey boy. <laughs> well, Tay. Yeah. Boutay. But I like that they uh, had the balls to put up the title card for the sequel uh, with no idea yeah. that they would ever get a I, sequel made. And, I, and then people lose their minds. I wonder if that was on purpose. Like, they weren't even sure they wanted to make a sequel, but we'll put the thing in there because it makes sense. We've been well, world building the this writer had, yeah. the The deal with the writer is that he had been... I mean, I was reading the Wikipedia on this, and I guess he had written at least a dozen almost scripts uh, and and books about Buckaroo Banzai, and he, he just really sucked at finishing <laughs> screenplays. Yeah. And so he would keep starting these things, and so they just had ideas and ideas and lore and shit, and so that I, that makes sense that they would be like, that's the next one we should do. Yeah. Um, oh, and, uh, and sidebar yeah. for Eric, uh, Earl MacRoush also co-wrote Scorsese's New York, New York. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so... The the one the the De Niro Scorsese uh, uh, partnership that didn't bear fruit. No, yeah. that's a musical. Uh, <laughs> but I like that they they put that title card up there, and then you know it's nothing. And then so obviously all of the fanboys and whatnot lose their fucking minds and go, oh, that should totally be a movie. Blah blah blah. And for years it almost became a thing. Uh, and I think like I don't know five or six years ago, whenever it was, uh, Kevin Smith. Uh, almost got an Amazon show made for Buckaroo Banzai mm-hmm. that would have expanded on it, but there was some sort of litigation with MGM against Richter and Roush, and so they couldn't get the rights. And Pretty it much fell apart. anything MGM was involved with in terms of rights is like fucked, right? Like yeah. the James Bond people <laughs> had yeah. a hell of a time because it's yeah. been sold off so many times, and so it's one of those things where it always gets near the edge. Yeah, we're gonna make it happen, and then so, so it's like the screenplay. It almost gets finished. Yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> so so it becomes a sort of magical unicorn. This Buckaroo Banzai because it's just people want more and they clamor for it, but they're never gonna get it. And never I think gonna that that's get actually it. what's great about it is that you're not like in a world where everything is franchised to the hilt. This is just a thing that exists once and leaves you wanting more and i'm okay yeah. with that well and it's, you it's, can't really you can't really have your geek card checked until you've seen it at least yeah i mean that's true. That's what true. i think is funny is they're commenting on a a a cinematic world that you know where this wouldn't be an issue for like 20 years yeah <laughs> but it's uh you know it's endearing it's got ch- the cheesy effects but even at the time, I mean, it still got decent reviews. I mean, even today on Rotten Tomatoes, I think it's like a 71% tomato meter. So it's, it's a decent score. But even like notable critics like uh, Richard Corliss at Time Magazine was just, he didn't love it, but he, he said it was basically the oddest good movie that he'd seen in so, such a long time. <laughs> I mean, that was sort of the vibe of all these reviews. It's like... Uh, Vincent Camby from the New York Times is like, uh, it's obviously a, a pilot film for other features, but it'd be hard to top for pure nutty fun. I mean, that was sort of their thing. Uh, so it, it, it did all right with the, the critical community. I just think it was too weird, too ahead of its time, maybe. I, I, I think it has been taught for pure nutty fun. And I think it's been taught for pure nutty fun by this podcast and i can prove it okay if you go to our website maghuge.com and you go check out our old episodes i think you're gonna find pure nutty fun and if you don't agree uh you can contact us there's links on that web page you can find our twitter handle at maghuge uh hit me up uh send send a message send us a tweet and tell me how i can irritate eric uh, or uh, go to our Facebook page where the Magnificently Huge podcast and follow us and you can see all the cool pictures that accompany our podcasts if you're not on iTunes and you're on any other decent podcast uh, uh, provider that actually puts line breaks in the show descriptions and shows the pictures. Or uh, you can find us on Instagram or uh, email. You can email us magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com and uh, suggest other lost uh, shows and movies and stuff that, that, that you want to hear us blather about. 
Um, and stay tuned, yeah. because very soon we'll do a show on Remo Williams, The Adventure. Oh, behind. Christ! <laughs> I oh, love that no. movie so oh, much. Of course you do. Yes, I do. do. I'm a Fred Ward fan. Died in the wool. But I do have one question before we end. Uh, where are we going? To, to Planet 10? Yeah, and when are we going? Um, real soon. Real, real soon? <laughs> Sold it. Sold it. So what? <laughs> Big deal. <laughs>